Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. I'm your host, Derek. Joining me today, I've got what appears to be a tired Greg Smith. And a sick Aaron Sorensen. How are you guys doing? Uh, aside from your uh, astute observation that I'm tired, uh, I'm very well. Aaron? I'm fine. Just definitely caught a cold on the flight back. So we're fine. <laughs> well, I think media days wrecked us um, is what I'm gathering from this because I'm also tired. I slept like so much yesterday. On We're recording this on a Thursday night. We all have stuff we have to do, so we're recording it early, but there's just so much stuff on HailVarsity.com that I can't even like single out anything because there's just so much content that we got up from Big Ten Media Days. Uh, Greg and Aaron and I, as well as Chris Gorman from Herdat and then Chris Schmidt from Hail Varsity Radio, we were all in Chicago um, Sunday through Tuesday for Big Ten Media Days. Lots of cool stuff. I just want to ask you guys first off the cuff, uh, Greg, I'll start with you so we don't have one of those awkward silences where you guys are like, who's talking? Uh, takeaway, main, main, big takeaway from Media Days. You know, after kind of sitting back and thinking about it, the thing that really stood out to me was that the coaches were the stars. And on the flip side of that, the the players didn't seem as big of a deal this year. Which And I know last year we didn't have Saquon Barkley, if I remember correctly. Um, but this year, I just don't feel not. like there was... Like, who was the biggest player that was there outside of Stanley Morgan, like current bias aside? Like, I mean, Trace McSorley was there. Yeah, but I feel like Trace McSorley could walk into our office and people wouldn't know who he was. Yeah, like, that's no fair. offense to him. Like, I just think that, like, I, I just don't think he's that recognizable. And maybe it also has to do with the fact that I think that quarterbacks are more unknown this year in the Big Ten. But the lack of star power from the players, which I think helped to maybe make the event seem a little bit more muted, um, was something that really stood out to me as I thought back about it uh, after we got back home. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, I mean, Wisconsin said an offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. Nebraska said an offensive lineman, too. Like, don't typically get too many offensive linemen. Aaron, what was your big takeaway? Uh, I would agree with that. I think the one thing that we've seen a lot with these Big Ten coaches is they tend to not pick often. Their, uh, you know, I will say this. Last year when Mike Riley made the decision to send Tanner Lee, that was probably one of the biggest players in recent years that was picked to go because, like we said, Saquon Barkley did not, did not go last year. I think sometimes – what you see end up happening is coaches don't pick some of those star players because they don't really want they don't really want to distract them. I'm not sure. I think Nebraska by picking Mick Gerald and Stanley, they picked their three seniors that have potential to be leaders in their respective positions and So I think when I looked at it, I feel like what I took away is that Nebraska picked a really well-balanced group of athletes to be there. They weren't exactly the flashiest outside of Stanley Morgan. I don't think other 
Big Ten writers probably understood maybe the value of Mick Stoltenberg and Gerald Foster being there, especially with everything we know about the offensive line needing to grow this season and Mick Stoltenberg uh, hopefully staying healthy through the season. And if he doesn't, you know, who else is there at that nose tackle position? But those are things that Nebraska fans and Nebraska um, writers care about. So I, I get it. But I thought at least the one thing I took away is that Nebraska had a really well-balanced group of athletes there. And it was sort of underappreciated, I think. But I, you got to give you got to give Scott and that staff credit for that. You know, I would I would agree with that, but I would also say that for Nebraska fans, I think those three choices were perfect because those are players like you mentioned that are seniors that can lend a voice to the transformation of what's been going on um, in the short time that this new staff has been here. Um, and guys, that you know, when the fans hear from those three players in particular, they're going to respect and listen to what they have to say. Uh, so I thought it was a really good move to, as well to have those three guys be the choices. I I think it was interesting that Penn State brought a quarterback. Michigan State brought a quarterback, Iowa brought a quarterback, Northwestern brought a quarterback, Purdue brought two quarterbacks. Shout out to Jeff Brom for doing that. That was pretty cool. Uh, Nebraska does not have a quarterback. And I don't think, I mean, nobody expected Nebraska to have a quarterback there. But when you look through the teams that that did not have a quarterback there, they were teams that currently don't have a quarterback. Uh, and so because of that, Scott was asked about it a lot. And he had the the line, we've got two really good guys um, I have a takeaway that I haven't said, but I want to get your guys' thoughts on this first because it was something that I was thinking about. The, the we have two really good quarterbacks line, is that does he say that to make sure that people are not forgetting about Adrian Martinez or make sure that people are not counting out Tristan Jebbia? If I have to pick one of those two, I would have to say don't forget or count out Tristan Jebbia. Well, is there another reading of that, I guess? No, I think the, to me the to to me the reading is is that he wants to make sure that those guys come into camp knowing that it's still an, an open competition that no one feels like they have a leg up. Um, but that wasn't the question you asked. Yeah, Aaron, I, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say I think the more so I have been very firmly in the camp, and I will say this: I was very firmly in the camp that Tristan Jebbia was your first game starter and that maybe Adrian Martinez unseated him at some point this season. When I was saying a lot of that, it was before the whole red shirting rule changed. And so I do think that that changes things a little bit as far as what we can expect from Adrian Martinez, especially how quickly, because now you have an opportunity to sort of strategize as far as like, do you put him in, see sort of how he, uh, adapts to the college level right away. And if he does well, you keep him in. If he doesn't, then you're not really losing anything. So I think that changes things. But I do think it's unfair to count out Tristan Jebbia because I know Adrian Martinez is the like second coming of Scott Frost as a quarterback for Nebraska. But he he still, you know, Scott said it himself. He would have should have been at prom this last you know, spring, he's still young. Tristan has had time. He's a very different quarterback than Adrian, but we know he's got an arm on him. So while I feel like what's starting to happen is it's starting to shift that Adrian is the guy because of the fact that you don't lose anything if you start him because you can still then redshirt him if you change your mind. 
I still think it would be unfair to count out Tristan because I don't think he's going to go down without a fight. And Mick Stolenberg was the one who said it. You got a guy like, and I guess Stanley actually said this as well. You've got a guy like Tristan Jebbia who beats the, who beats everyone to the stadium every single day to study and is the last one out of the building. In fact, Mario Verduzco has had to tell Tristan to go like live his life, get out of the film room and go do things, be a college student because he's such a workhorse when it comes to that stuff. So I wouldn't say count that out. And I think that's what Scott's saying is, yeah, he may have recruited Adrian Martinez, but that doesn't mean Tristan Jebbia is suddenly just non-existent. I think there's going to be value in this quarterback competition. And I think fans can get excited about that through fall camp. Hmm. We'll do uh we'll we'll talk about the quarterbacks more in a second. We'll do buy or sell with them. But my takeaway was everybody that I talked to knew about Central Florida. All the players knew about Central Florida. Like everybody and, and not just I mean Maryland played them last year and the year before, but not just Maryland. Like Wisconsin's TJ Edwards knew what they did last year. Uh Dakota Dixon knew what they did last year. Uh, I talked to one Purdue guy and he knew what they did last year. Iowa knew what they did last year. Like most of the players that I talked to were like, yeah, uh, Central Florida was really good and they did this and they did that. And it was just, it was, it was interesting to see because for us, we're like, it's hard for us to watch football, but we, we, we kept track of them because we knew why we needed to keep track of them. But like for, for players that are so locked into what they're doing on a week-to-week basis for them to be keeping tabs or at least know base level knowledge have base level knowledge of a team that not only are they not playing but is not even in their conference i thought was pretty interesting i'm pretty surprised by that like i didn't know that like yeah i'm stunned i wonder like how they came to start to really follow the thing at central florida like did they do that after they found out scott frost was coming to the conference or were they following it along to begin with because i'm stunned by that see if i was a capital j journalist i would have asked when you started following central florida but i did not ask so i guess i do not get to be a capital j journalist but um yeah i would have been curious about that too because you know you could be in a situation where you're just like oh crap these guys are coming i should probably you know look at what they did or you're like Everybody else in Nebraska and captivated by them as they're, you know, throwing up 50 points and bulldozing people in their in their path. Um, one thing that I, that I found very, very interesting, I talked to DJ Durkin uh, about playing Central Florida and about going up against that offense and the speed and all everything like that. And he told me that the defense was was a strength of that team. And he said that that front seven was one of the best that they played all of last year. Uh, and that comment kind of took me by surprise. And Greg, you and I have talked about this because when you think about this kind of offense, and especially when you talked about Oregon uh, in the Chip Kelly era, the knock on the the spread and the speed and the tempo and the, the, the flashy offense is that it's not strong. The knock on the teams that run that is that they're not physical. And f- for a coach to say, yeah, their front seven was one of the best that we played, that that in and of itself says, yeah, they were really physical and they beat you down up front. Uh, so I... Th- I found that very, very interesting. Yeah, I, I was gonna say the only, the only thing I was gonna say when Durkin made that comment, you told me how he said uh, about Frost the defense. I laughed because I was like, I'm not sure if he should say that because I don't know if that like is saying more about his offense. So that was my only thing where I was kind of laughing. But we do know that um, 
a Frost team scores a lot of points, but they also have to defend a lot of points. So there's value in that defense as well. Hey, don't be knocking Maryland right now. They had a good <laughs> offense last year. They were on their third-string quarterback and still had a pretty good offense. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> we're going to have Brandon drop down out of the ceiling and start hitting us with things because we're bashing Maryland right now. He is. He has bought all of the stock in DJ Durkin. I, I'm getting a lot of hate. I'm getting a lot of Maryland hate on this end. No. I My hatred goes toward, unfortunately, Lovey Smith's Illinois team and that tie he wore, which you guys can be a big fan of. Wasn't as great. I kept saying it looks like you ran across the street to the men's warehouse and was just like, give me your most Illinois-looking tie, and that was it. Okay, let's talk about looks then for a second because Lovey Smith could have walked in. Lovey Smith could have walked in in the trash bag, and the beard that he had could have saved True. everything, and it would have looked fine. Correct. The that, beard was heavenly. That beard was great, and it distracted from the tie. So no, right. the the tie accentuated the no. fabulous beard. No, that's what not was, how that worked. What did the tie end up in Brandon's power rankings? I think like fourth, fourth or fifth. Somewhere okay. in there. I thought it was interesting that. In, uh, Illinois, I was about to call him Indiana. Illinois was the only, like, one of the only teams at this event that was, like, color-coordinated and every single player had the same uh, style tie on, which I found weird. Ohio State just rolled up in, like, an orange and pink tie, and, and, and I mean, just, <sighs> come on, guys. Like I actually thought that was kind of cool for no. Ohio State. <laughs> Why? Why am I always the one going the other way? I'm off in my own little la-la land. Uh, because, because they're Ohio State. They should be able to do whatever they want. When you're the big dogs in the conference, you do what you want. You know what? That is the attitude that gets you in trouble. And Ohio State was in trouble this weekend. They were so in quite a bit of trouble. programs were in trouble. Like, I thought about this, and let this just be a blanket statement that across the board, college sports, not just football, but college athletics, as well as professional athletics, have got to get this figured out. Because I sat down and I thought about it. Who is addressing controversies at Big Ten Media Days? You had Urban Meyer having to address the Zach Smith allegations. You had um, D'Antonio addressing so much at Michigan State. And then you had Scott addressing the Ron Brown I mean, it just was like one after the other, after the other, after the other. It was like I kept thinking like is, and I would say, you know, obviously Scott addressing Ron Brown was very different than what D'Antonio and Urban Meyer. And even like Urban Meyer's was different because it had just broken like the day before. But I was just like, what is the status of college athletics when these type of stories are, it's almost like, it's almost so common now where it almost doesn't feel shocking where when you hear these stories, it's just like, Oh, that's another day in college athletics. So I feel like this is something the NCAA has to get figured out. But at the same time, this is sort of the cost of winning for a lot of programs. And yeah, it was just kind of like how many things is this freaking conference dealing with right now? And they should be dealt with, and I'm glad reporters were asking about them, but it was just kind of amazing. I'm like, why is this consistently happening and it should be figured out to not continue? But I think everybody under knows that that's the goal, but it's just like, why does it keep happening? You know, to, to, to echo that, the Michigan State situations, <laughs> plural, um, and Derek and I have kind of talked about this a little bit um, off mic, is that 
those to me it feels like have been so swept under the rug like the when i went i went back and actually kind of revisited some of mark d'antonio's comments um from the uh from his initial press conference especially the stuff to me relating to the player that he had that got caught in the text messages or whatever like calling his teammates the n-word like that whole situation i feel like if that was at i don't know insert like other major power um, around the country, like would be like front page news all over the place. Whereas he just kind of sidestepped that was like, yep, he's back on the team and we're kind of letting our players decide it. Um, and then that was pretty much it. Like it, it, that's a really strange situation. I feel like Michigan state as a whole with their various issues just kind of seem to be skating around like the majority of the criticism that they should be receiving. Aaron, how did you feel about uh, Urban Meyer and not necessarily the way he handled the questions that he got, but more what he said? How did you feel about the the answers that he gave to questions about Zach Smith and questions about whether he knew and questions about the 2015 incident? How did you feel about the answers that he gave? Well, I think at first when he came out on Tuesday, he gave the answers all of us expected and... They were very PR-based. It was very matter-of-fact. It was, you know, here's what I knew, here's what I didn't, here's what I knew it, here's what I did it, all of that stuff. And I, the only thing now, in hindsight, is you can poke some holes in a lot of, um, in a lot of what he said because he, 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 long story short, and I agreed with this, he kind of made a comment like, you know, the 2009 incident was not factual. He kind of turned it into a he said, she said situation, which really you don't want to do that when you're trying to, when you're talking about domestic assault, maybe don't go down the he said, she said path. That that did, I understand, make quite a few Ohio State fans upset. The one, though, that, like, raised a lot of eyebrows is he said he didn't know about the 2015 incident, and then a story came out, like, two hours after he was done talking that he did, in fact, know about it. And then this last fall, he was trying to get Zach Smith to actually leave by having him interview elsewhere and trying to help him get a job elsewhere. So it looked like a coach essentially trying to dump a problem without having to fire that person. And so... Those are things he's going to have to continue to answer to and have to continue to explain. And so for me, I think he came out and gave the answer all of us expected. Unfortunately, it just seems like there was a lot of there's still a lot of questions that haven't been answered. And he's going to continue to be asked about them. I mean, his fall camp is probably going to be peppered with a lot of what did you know and why didn't you do something about it? And that's really where we're at right now. But so Big Ten Media Days. He gave what I kind of expected. It's just unfortunate that doesn't sound like it was 100%. It wasn't 100% the truth. Sure. Um, we could probably spend a while talking about this, so yeah. I just want to move us move us, move us, us forward. Let's talk about another non-Nebraska coach uh, whose, I guess, body language was dissected a little bit more than what he said, and that was Jim Harbaugh from Michigan. Um, Greg, you're kind of going like, ooh, to me right now. You made the comment that, it looked like he was defensive. It looked like he was annoyed. A couple of people on Twitter made the same comments. I did not get that sense. How, what did talk to me about talk about his his demeanor? What I mean, what why did you think that he was 
defensive? Why did you think that he was looked annoyed to be there? Yeah, because it was uh, basically a, the complete opposite of 180 of how he came into the conference. Um, and to me, it was immediately striking that he went from a few years ago coming in, um, talking about his dinner and time that he had the night before in Chicago with, I believe, a Mike Dicka jersey on um, and was all full of bravado and ready to roll. And he came in um, this week and could not have, it to me, seemed like um, not, wanted to be there any less. Um, those questions that he was answering or the way he was answering them was very short and right to the point and not really answering them, I thought. Um, it was just, it was bizarre. Now, to me, the best question that happened, um, and he was probably at his most offensive on this, and understandably so, was when he was asked about not being able to beat Ohio State. Um, but I understand why he would be upset about that. But then again, I mean, the facts are the facts on that situation. Was that um, the 34-second question from the Michigan State writer? No, I think that might have been a different one. The dude one. that was just grandstand. I hate no, that, that was a, so Yeah, that much. was a different one. That was a different question. I think, it, yeah, that was a totally different question. Okay, here's here's my thing with, with Harbaugh and the way he handled that. I wouldn't have wanted to be there either if I was him. He Because, because of the way that he came in, like you were describing, I think he has a much bigger target on his back in the sense that he had these, he had these expectations that were built up either by him or... Uh, by the program that he was taking over or by the media. Regardless, there were these expectations that were there, and I think he hasn't finished above third in the Big Ten East. Nope. I mean, like, I think he... And I put this in my preview piece, and people were like, they're not a punching bag, but, like, in the sense of proverbial um, in the, 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 the media, he is a punching bag. The media likes to go at him. You're shaking your head. I, if he feels like the guy that you want to poke holes at, you want to attack, and just like the Michigan State guy that spent 34 seconds talking about all the the bad things that Jim Harbaugh has done, and then essentially like how do you get better? And Harbaugh was just improvement leads to results, which leads to success, or something something stupid like that. Some like seven word answer, and it was like if I was being treated like this, I would give those answers too. Like he feels like the guy that has just been under a microscope and been under barrage under siege for for three or four years now and it it, it, to me he felt like a guy that was like i know that this act has taken a toll on people outside of the program and i don't really care anymore i just want to win football games so then he should have had that approach from the beginning um, in my opinion, he was I don't, I don't think that he was a punching bag in the beginning. I think that people were hailing him as the savior of Michigan football when he first got there. No, no, no not at the beginning. I'm talking about recently. Yeah, once the results on the field didn't match up to what his bravado kind of said that they would have. I mean, he has won nine or ten games. But he can't beat the teams on his schedule that matter. Okay. So how do we feel about Bo Pelini? <laughs> <laughs> that's how that's how we got where we got with Bo outside of his behavior. Aaron, do you have thoughts on Jim Harbaugh? I mean, he's no longer the first-year new coaching hire darling. PJ Fleck took that last year. Now Scott Frost has it this year. But, to, like, I'm not saying this in, like, a bad way to Scott, but I could see Scott being annoyed at the podium in two years, too. But not necessarily for the same reasons 
Jim Harbaugh is. I just think there's a certain personality that does well with Big Ten Media Days and a certain personality that doesn't. The one thing that I will say with Scott that he does well is he knows what he's doing in the sense that it's like almost like the joke was, is he is he uh, getting Nebraska fans ready for the football season or is he running for governor? Because he knows, he, I mean, everything he said was just so perfectly like, like he just like stated it so perfectly. He knew his audience. He really went after that. He really went after his target audience in his comments. But like, I could see someone like Scott two years down the road finding himself annoyed with Big Ten Media Days, not because of wins or losses necessarily, but just because I think some people walk into that liking Big Ten Media Days. You see, like, James Franklin walks out on Big Ten Media Day stage and it's just like, hey, everyone, how's it going? Like, he's just this big personality that, like, loves that. And Pat Fitzgerald is one of those people as well. Uh, Kirk Ferentz, not so much. Scott Frost, I could see him being like, yeah, not my favorite thing. So I think for Jim Harbaugh, there's sort of different layers here. And I think aside from the win, loss, and all of that stuff, I just simply think he does not like Big Ten Media Days. And that's just what it is. <laughs> yeah, I think you're exactly right. And, I mean, like, you can you can take that all the way down to his outfit when he walks out on the main stage. Like, he walks out in khakis, his game day polo, and a hat. And, like... We like to give him crap about that because everybody else is in a suit. But at the same time, you can read that as I would much rather be on a sideline coaching football or in an office looking at film or doing something that has to do with football and getting my team better than I would be here. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just how he views it. Oh, yeah, I would agree. I agree with you. Uh, so let's do buy or sell now. So we're going to – I kind of have – I kind of had a hot take – uh, but I'm going to save it. I'm not going to give it. I feel like I give a hot take on every podcast. I'm going to save it. Um, I would like to get your guys' thoughts on a couple things first. The first one will be, are you buying or selling? Aaron, we'll start with you. Adrian Martinez starts five games this year. Mm. Oh, okay. Which would mean he is not redshirting. I'm, okay, so I'm going to just stick to my guns. I'm going to stick to what I've been saying. I'm fine being wrong. I'm going to sell on that one. I'm going to say that Tristan Jebbia surprises during fall camp and ends up your guy. Martinez gets some experience in non-conference, but Adrian, or sorry, Adrian gets the experience during non-conference and that Tristan ends up being the full-time guy. I could, I'm totally okay being wrong. So for the people who are going to come back and like attack me in four weeks, totally fine i'll own that but i've been saying that jebby is the guy since january so why why back off now i'll I'll sell on that one (laughs) okay so so strategically what do you see the benefit of redshirting martinez and playing jebby now if if martinez is not if he is not the if here's my thought process if you feel like he has that potential to be your a, a starter for a long period of time. Why not give him a season to sort of adjust to the college level? At the same time, I mean, Tristan hasn't played at a college level either outside of practice and the scout team. But I've just been... I've just been under the impression that Tristan's not going to make this easy and he's not going to back off. So I feel like I'm sort of... I'm, I'm sort of putting my bets all in on him uh i don't know exactly to to what you just asked 
the benefit isn't Martinez because I mean, you've got somebody like Noah Vedral who's going to be available next year and you're going to be adding to that competition. And then they're bringing in quarterbacks in the coming classes. So this goes into like Jebbia probably looks like a guy who ultimately could transfer. So there's a lot of things going against him and I'm almost talking myself out of it at this point, but I'm still just going to stick with it because I've been saying it for so long. I'm finding wrong, but I just feel like Jebby has got a lot of passion and heart and we'll see if it wins out ultimately. But I can also understand why people would completely disagree with me on that. And Vedral is really the X factor here because if you redshirt Martinez, you go into next season with a sophomore, Noah Vedral, who knows the offense, has spent now two seasons in the offense. You have a sophomore, Tristan Jebbia, who just started all of last season. And you have a freshman, Adrian Martinez, who was billed as Frost's hand-picked guy. I just think that causes more problems. But, uh, Greg, what do you think? Buy or sell? Uh, so am I buying whether or not he starts five games? Mm-hmm. I'm absolutely 100% buying. Uh, I thought you were going the other way. <laughs> no, you've talked to me enough about this to know that I believe that Adrian Martinez is your starter now and two years into the future. I think that Adrian Martinez is the future of this team, um, and I don't think that there's any reason to delay that. I don't think that there's no. I don't think there's any benefit um, to redshirting him and letting him gain experience because the experience factor right now between him and Jebbia is really pretty small. Um, it is a little odd that you would have a true freshman starter that did not play in his senior year and if that does come to pass that's going to be a big storyline I think um, because it will be very strange Um, but I think it's time to just go ahead and give Adrian Martinez the keys to the kingdom now. Aaron do you have a retort? No I mean I can completely see that my only question for you Greg though is you said that Martinez is the future but what happens when Bedrill becomes available next year and then not saying that Martinez shouldn't start this season anyway, but they're going to have a they're going to have a lot to sort through because then you're getting in. I mean, obviously, someone like Luke McCaffrey is going to probably redshirt when he gets to Nebraska, and then you've got some time on that. But I'm almost more interested at this point in what's going to happen next season than what's going to happen this season. I'm just like keeping my bias because I've been saying that Jebby is going to be the guy for so long that I might as well just stick to this, but. I'm just curious what happens when Vedral becomes available. I think at that point you have a quality backup to Adrian Martinez because yeah. you always will need a quality backup when you run an offense like this in which your quarterback can get dinged up. Yeah, he's. Uh, he, I think him, if he had gotten the waiver to play this year, which it sounded like they didn't even apply for, but if he had gotten it, he would have played. He would have started. I think... I think he definitely would have started the majority of the season. But have, have not having that waiver, I feel like Noah could turn out to be one of those extension of the coaching staff guys who is around for helping his teammates, being a good locker room guy, and being a good backup, like Greg said. I, I, I'm with Greg on this. I think Adrian is the future. I think whoever wins this job ultimately is going to be your next four-year starter. And I think Adrian has a higher ceiling because of the, the, the dual threat ability in this offense. I just don't see the benefit in kicking the can down the road another season 
Because if, if you go with Jebbia and you redshirt Martinez, then you get into next year where you've got a Vedral who can play, you've got Jebbia, you've got Adrian Martinez, and you've got to make some hard decisions. I just think if you have Martinez with a year of experience, and this is something, I'm going to use a Bob Diaco quote, but oh, no. there's nothing there's nothing more valuable than in-game experience. And that, I mean, you can... You can learn on the sideline. You can learn on the scout team as a red shirt. You can have all of those things, but there's nothing more valuable than being on the field, being in a third and long in the big house against one of the best defenses in the country, having to beat the crowd, and having to get that first down. Like You're just not going to get that red shirting. And if he, if he has that in year one, and he has the time to just grow with everybody else in year one, year two you can start to talk about some things. It's just, it's, it's the way I look at it. No, and see, now I'm like talking myself out of my, my thoughts, but I just... <laughs> We're winning. So <laughs> my, we are, my, but I don't know that you should completely discount it. Because I think that no, there's... Okay, I'm so just, what happens... I'm, just, I'm still sticking with Tristan I, because I just feel like there's a... I, like, I feel like what's happened in the last, like, few months is it went from before the spring game, everyone was like, Adrian Martinez probably will redshirt, maybe won't, but Tristan's definitely your guy to watch. And then somewhere around the spring game, it completely switched to Tristan is definitely not playing this season. It's entirely Adrian Martinez, which I just, having talked with Mario Verduzco in his office and watched film with him, I am not completely sold that they start Adrian Martinez this whole season. I just am not. And, I, you know, he he could be the guy, and there's a really good chance that he could be, but I feel like we shouldn't discredit and write off Tristan Jebbia just yet. And I will say this, though. I will put my money on this. If Adrian Martinez is your starter this year, he goes in, he starts, he goes the whole season. I end up being completely wrong. Tristan Jebbia transfers next spring. Which would then be, it's in, my, in the scenario that I've thought about way too much, that would be okay, no disrespect to Tristan, if, they, if he doesn't do it this year. If he waits until next year and then Vedral is eligible, um, you've got a guy like Matt Masker that's been in a program for a year that can be down the line as well. You would have Luke McCaffrey coming into the program. Like, I think that they would be okay in that scenario. The doomsday scenario is they announce the starting quarterback a week before the first game, like Scott Frost said he wants to do, and then Tristan Jebbia decides to leave right then. That would be the big problem. I don't see him doing that. And though. I don't either. Here's my thing, though, Greg. You are right. To a certain degree, I think that they're playing this out because they don't want Tristan to transfer. I think that's a really real thing that they probably thought about from the moment that they came in. And I just don't want to think that the only reason that they're not naming a starter is because they're trying to keep him around for depth. Because that's kind of a, like... I mean, that's the reality of college football sometimes in some scenarios, but you'd hope that that's not the case because, gosh, that would just suck to think like, hey, we're just trying to keep you here because we really don't, we can't afford to not have you here. Um, If that's the case, I do think Tristan Jebbia, no matter what, is going to see the field. Even if he's not necessarily the starter, I, I could see him, the way I had originally before the whole red shirt thing happened, the way I had said it was going to happen, was that he was going to come in and be your your initial starter in the season and that Adrian would eventually unseat him. 
and take over, like probably by conference play was sort of how I looked at it. But now that you get the four redshirt games or the four games and still be able to redshirt, that sort of changes the like strategy with that. So it changed my opinion. So even like in my case, when I'm saying I think Tristan could be your guy, it's even hard for me to like really like own that and feel good about it because the reality is there's there's really nothing to lose with starting Adrian. And at that point, if he does well against Troy and Akron in Colorado, like you're keeping him in in Big Ten play. We're converting Aaron to our side. I, uh, I, I was like I was in your camp, Aaron, as well. Before the redshirt rule came in, I thought Jebbio would be the guy uh, that initially starts, but Adrian eventually takes over. But with the, I, I kind of walked myself out of that even before the redshirt rule because I just like I don't see the value. Like I said, kicking the can. Like just just do it now. Like just get like he's the quarterback of the future, and I think he is. Just do it now. And the the reason. You, you had brought up how, like, around the spring game, the, the narrative kind of shifted to where, okay, Adrian is the guy now. 200 total yards and four touchdowns and diving over the pylon and, and flashing finger guns at people. Like, that'll do that. Like, he looked really, really good for somebody that hadn't thrown a football in a, in a live-action game in a long time. Do you have anything to add, Craig? You're very quiet today. <laughs> I'm not quiet. I'm just, I have um, very well, I think, convinced and brought Aaron over to our side. No, um, I'm not. I think that if I'm you add on top. Like, go ahead, Aaron. No, I was just saying, I'm, I'm going to just stick to my guns because at this point, I might as well just go down in a blaze of glory. Like, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this needs to be in the podcast, but I'm about to tag you in something and it's going to make your day. Where is it? Oh my god. <gasps> oh. Sorry, guys. This is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. And I have to, like, share it right now. I can't wait to see it. <sighs> is it coming through Slack yeah, or on Twitter? I just, I just tweeted it at you. Oh, Baker Mayfield got a puppy. No, it's named Barker Mayfield. It's up for adoption. It's not his dog, but they named it Barker Mayfield. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, see, always been considered the underdog. She's looking for her forever home in Cleveland. Oh, my God. <laughs> this has gone oh. off the rails. <laughs> Way oh, off. it's a puppy. Okay, oh, let's... Uh, all that. <laughs> I think... I think we might have lost Aaron, but let's try to rein it back in and get back to some football talk. If you, no. I'm going to ask you to give me one coach that you were most impressed with at Big Ten Media Days, and you cannot say Scott Frost. And Greg, you cannot say Tom Allen from Indiana. Come on, man. Okay, fine. You cannot say Lovey Smith. Aaron, would you like to start or would you like to defer to Greg? Because I think Greg has his already picked out. Uh, the one I was probably most impressed by would be Pat Fitzgerald. Are you convinced that Patty because Fisher is Fitzgerald's son? No, but what Pat Fitzgerald did to impress me, I should probably add that, is one, he always, he always handles the podium stuff well. But then at the like breakout sessions, he's really engaging to talk to. But there's a moment that I watched in the hallway before the coaches came up to take their group photos and he was the one Big Ten coach that was actively trying to talk to Scott Frost. And Scott was kind of, like, doing that thing where he's got, like, one foot leaned against the wall and he's trying to, like, not talk to anyone. But, like, 
Savage Gerald was like, I'm going to, like, befriend this guy, and I'm going to make him feel welcome. And you could just tell he was, like, genuinely trying to, like, make Scott feel welcome in the Big Ten and welcome with that group of a lot of big personalities. So I was impressed by him. I thought he was, one, he did really well podium breakout sessions, but then I thought that was kind of cool how he was really trying to be the, like, welcome to the team coach in the hallway. I will tell you exactly why Pat Fitzgerald did that. And I will tell you exactly why Urban Meyer just randomly brought up Scott Frost and his quarterbacks. And I will tell you why P.J. Fleck was so nice about Scott Frost. They're terrified of him. Threw down the gauntlet. They're terrified of getting just bulldozed by him in three years. So they're trying to get on his good side now. I just think Pat Fitzgerald was being nice in that sense. Like, it just felt like someone just sincerely being nice. (laughs) I think they're definitely being nice because I didn't like when PJ was talking about him. I was like, man, this is so nice. He talked about the gentlemen's league and all that and how none of the coaches have been mean to him. You're definitely right that that guys are just being nice. But I think subconsciously these dudes are terrified of Scott Frost and what he's what he can bring to Nebraska. And I wouldn't have been as confident in that until we got there and Scott talked. And then all of the national media was just falling over themselves over Scott. And that that was that was reinforcement to just this notion that they're terrified of him, and they're going to be. And then when he said, "You better get us now because you're not going to get us later," like, I mean, good lord, Greg, Tom Allen, your coach. Tom Allen is my coach. Um, if for those of you who don't know, I've, I've officially committed to Indiana. <laughs> Um, I would I would run through a wall for Tom Allen because he had the greatest line uh, of Big Ten Media Days, and he said, "Before there is a reality, there is a mentality," which I thought was great. Oh, um, so but I also, <laughs> that's such a great football coach line. You're looking like it's not. No, that's really good. Okay, so no, but I think that also for a guy that whose football team is not very good, he seemed like he had a good control. Um, of what was going on with his situation. He also didn't feel like he had any pressure because he has a plan um, and he's ready to go. I really like Tom Allen. He looks like he has never left the gym while also never spending a second on his legs. Like, he looks huge up top. (laughs) So he definitely skips leg day. (laughs) I think the coach that I was most impressed with was probably P.J. Fleck. And, like, I got flack on Twitter for it, and, like, you're giving me side-eye right now. But, like, I like P.J. Flag. Like, he made the comment, this is not year one, or, like, this is not year two. Like, this is your, last year was year zero, and this is year one. And, like, he doesn't have anything. Like, he came into a team that wasn't very good, but also had some pieces, and then was going to lose some pieces right away. Like, he doesn't have anything. He doesn't have a quarterback. He doesn't have anything that would lead you to believe that he could be successful this season. So, like you're gonna get those people at the end of the year when they go four and eight that are gonna be like PJ Fleck needs to leave, and it's like he I think he's a good coach and he understands and I just row that boat row right out of here the boat row the dang boat I like the suit game I like how energetic and enthusiastic he is I like that he is like so willing to give us good quotes and sit there and talk with us I like that I think he's a good coach. Like, he, he won 13 games at Western Michigan. Scott Frost won 12 at UCF. Yeah, and we and we have said, and PJ had the comment, he's like, Scott did something at Central Florida where he, he built that and took it to heights that it, A, shouldn't be at, realistically, and B, 
has only really ever dreamed of being. They were 13-0. and They were in conversation for the college football playoff. You haven't seen a group of five school do that. Not even Western Michigan when P.J. Fleck was there. But P.J. did flip that team around from 1-11 and to 12-0, and 13-0, and and then they lost in the bowl game, I think. But, I mean, he's a good... He's, he's a year removed from that. Like, I think he's a good... Co- I, I, I don't think we have reached the point where we can just write him off after one year at Minnesota and say, yeah, he's a bad coach. He needs to go somewhere else. I, I definitely think you can get into situations where coaches uh, can be the next big thing and they can get into a situation that's just not a good situation for them. And then they can move on. Like I look at what Charlie Strong did at Texas. He should have stayed and that team would have been better. And they canned him early because they wanted immediate results. Maybe PJ Fleck is in a similar situation in Minnesota, but I just think he's, he's a, I think he can be successful and I know a lot of people here are going to hate that just because of what happened to Nebraska last season at Minnesota's hand. But I can guarantee you that's not going to happen again. Scott would kill somebody if it does. Uh, but I just think PJ is a good head coach at a Power Five team. You disagree, Greg? It's only partially. <laughs> so I agree with you that he's a good football coach. But I don't think he's going to sink or swim on whether or not he can actually coach X's and O's. It's whether or not he can get people or enough people to buy into all of his different mantras and how he goes about his work. Um, I think that that's why he's either really hit or miss on the recruiting trail. Either kids really, really like him or they don't at all and find him to be hokey, right? And I think that if he can find enough people that can buy into that, then I think that he will have reasonable success. Because I do agree with you that he's a good coach, X's and O's wise. But I also do agree with you that with the media, he's very good. And I don't know if that's because he hasn't had a lot of success at Minnesota. Typically at media days, the coaches that have not done very well are usually a little bit more friendly. The coaches that are really big deals aren't as friendly. And the coaches that have are comfortable and where they are, D'Antonio, Kirk Ferentz, are usually not very nice to the media, right? So it's usually the guys that need to sell something, like P.J. Fleck, um, like Tom Allen, Lovey Smith, for the most part, um, that are really nice to the media. So it's just whether or not he can get people to buy in. For me, I'm just kind of over his act already, though he was nice to all of us at Victim Media Days. Hmm. Interesting. It's funny that like you're like, I'm over Jim Harbaugh's act, and I'm like, there was reason for him not being nice. And then I'm like, go PJ. And you're like, I'm over the act. Maybe I'm just, I'm just over both of them, I suppose. Because I liked Harbaugh, too, when he first came into the conference, full disclosure. I'm just over you all. Uh, we can tell. What do you got going on this week? Well, what's what's coming up, up from Aaron's notebook? Sorry. Yeah, well, we're, no, you're fine. We're finishing up uh, all the Big Ten media days. Still have tons of stuff to get through and a lot of content. In that regard, getting ready for fall camp to kick off, which for people keeping the countdown at home is next Thursday. And that's essentially the start of football season. So really just getting ready for all of that, which I'm really excited about. And I mean, obviously at this point, football is going to be here before we know it. So settle in and buckle up. (laughs) Greg, what do you got coming? Football content. Well, that's good. Is it just content or is it hashtag content? Oh, it's always hashtag content. Okay. Only the best from Gregor's. 
Crackers. <laughs> yes. Sure. At least I'm not calling you G Reg anymore. <laughs> that is true. That's an improvement. Crackers is an improvement. <laughs> Those are bad times. Um, we are going to close it out, but before we do, I want one hot take from each of you. It can be Nebraska goes 10 and 2 this season and all the things that we've talked about are wrong. It can be Scott Frost gets fired. It can be whatever you want to well, whatever you want to make it. My heart. <laughs> uh, my hot, my hot take. I already said Tristan Jevia is your starting quarterback. That seems to be the hot take now, so I'll just stick with it. Sign me up. That's what it is. Hot take. Okay. Just set the stadium on fire. <laughs> okay, I do have one that's Scott Frost related. It is definitely not that he's oh. going to be fired. Um, but it'll be so as as well received as Scott Frost was this past week at Big Ten Media Days in. Two years, it will be the exact opposite, but not because of like Jim Harbaugh that he's feeling the hot seat. It's because they've been successful and he's going to let it be known that he does not want to be there. Scott Frost didn't want to be there this week and it's year one. Um, So I can't imagine what that's going to be like once they have some success. I think they're going to have success quickly. And I think the narrative will shift around him and he'll be viewed more like Urban Meyer and that type of a standoffish in that type of setting um, than he was this week as everybody wants to go talk to him because they want the hot story. Hmm. Mine, the last one that I made was that Nebraska was not going to lose in a single game this season by more than 20 points. That includes Wisconsin and Ohio State and Michigan State and Michigan. You said, uh, why did you have to say that out loud? Urban Meyer has now heard you and knows, and now he's going to cause pain. Like, why did you Urban have to Meyer, that? Urban Meyer has plenty of issues that he needs to worry about. He's not listening to our podcast. Uh, Maybe my, that's what he does in his downtime. <laughs> just imagining Urban sitting at his kitchen table, eating pizza by himself, listening to this podcast. Sad dominoes. <laughs> um, my hot take, I guess, it will just kind of roll along the same lines. Nebraska has a top fifty defense this year. Because I was already, I was already feeling pretty good about Eric Chenander and, and what they're building on defense and the guys that they have over there, and I was feeling pretty good about the talent that they had coming back from last season. But just hearing DJ Durkin talk about the defense. I feel good about that. Best wishes. <laughs> oh, okay, we're going to wrap it up on that note. We will be back next week uh, on Friday, a day after Nebraska kicks off fall camp. We'll probably have a few things to talk about. Um, until then, keep it with HailVarsity.com. We'll have plenty of content up in the meantime. And that's it. Yep. Thanks, guys, for listening. 